Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, again, like Kyle said, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors over at uh, Coa Brookline, and with you all. I think last time I was with you was the summer when you guys kind of temporarily were co-Newton. Um, if you didn't know that, you guys were meeting at the Greek church and it was uh, like a 4 or 5 p.m. service. And though that place was beautiful, it was kind of dark and dreary when you walked in. And so the, the, the kind of comparison to this, I haven't been in this building yet, is, is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. It's really light, the stained glass windows. Um, and you're back in Brighton, which I'm really glad to hear that. Um, that means you can kind of do ministry in the city that, that God, uh, God had the plan for with your neighbors and people around you. So I'm um, glad to hear you're back and you're doing well. Um, kind of the perfect location, right? You're right along Com Ave, right along the T. Um, most controversial thing I'll say today, I love the beeline. I don't know if you all feel that way. <laughs> don't boo. Yeah. Um, B is for boo. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it, I, so when I moved to Boston the first few years, I lived kind of up and down, up and down Com Ave a little bit. And so the beeline has a special place in my heart. Um, it has a really special place in my heart, um, despite your opinions on the matter. So uh, if you're new to Koa, if this is your first time, uh, we're in the book of Genesis. And we've been in the book of Genesis for about five years now. Um, and we'll be in the book of Genesis for about five more years. Um, no, we started in the fall and then we're going to wrap up in the summer. Um, but we've been going through the book of Genesis and taking a look at different passages, just kind of working through it chapter by chapter. Um, and if you are here last week, uh, you'll notice that maybe uh, we skipped a chapter, right? So Aaron preached on Genesis 18 last week. We skipped Genesis 19 and I'm preaching on 20 this week. Um, there's a little story about two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and if you know your Bibles, uh, Pastor Aaron wisely thought um, that maybe it wouldn't be best for a guest preacher to come and preach on that. It's a pretty tough passage. It talks about two cities kind of being destroyed. And so um, it makes a lot of sense that maybe the pastor that's in your life at week to week, day to day, is the one that kind of preaches that thing to you. So we're in Genesis 20 today, and then a few weeks from now, um, Aaron's going to come back and he'll preach Genesis 19. But um, Genesis 20. So this week, as I was reading this passage, as I was kind of studying this and thinking about this, um, the themes of consistency and inconsistency kept coming to mind. Consistency and inconsistency. Um, and I think without a doubt, everyone in the room wants to be a consistent person. Right? I think everyone wants to be consistent, whether it's in your job, uh, whether it's friendships or school or relationships or like your marriage or um, parenting. We all want to be consistent people in our faith. And it's really obvious when someone's inconsistent. Right? When, in, when someone is an inconsistent person, it's glaringly obvious. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Like you get assigned that uh, semester-long project in college, a group project, and there's always like that one person right, that either just kind of doesn't show up to your planned meetings or doesn't do their fair, their, their fair share of the work. Maybe you were that person. Um, and, and they're just really inconsistent. And yeah, I, side note, I always find it funny, like, there's nothing you can do about that, right? You're not, you're not going to go tell the teacher. It's like, okay, just, we're, gonna do, we're just going to do your work for you. Um, or whether it's a, a coworker, right, that just consistently, same thing, maybe doesn't deliver on a project or just isn't consistent in some way. Or maybe your fantasy football team, you have a wide receiver. One week, they get 3.2 points per, per game, and then the next week, they get 27 points. They're just super inconsistent. Maybe at home, right, whether it's a spouse or your kids, they just kind of don't keep the house clean in a certain way or, or just aren't consistent in some way, and it bugs you. And of course, 
this thing goes deeper than group projects and fantasy football, right? There's spiritual inconsistencies. Like I'm sure many of us in this room are facing some sort of spiritual inconsistency in our own life right now. Whether it's just kind of simply struggling to be consistent in reading scripture or praying, whether it's struggling to be consistent in a certain fight against a certain sin, that's um, pornography or outbursts of anger. When you come face to face with inconsistencies in others and in yourself, it sticks out. It sticks out like a sore thumb. And all of a sudden, with these spiritual inconsistencies especially, you kind of find yourself in this place of dread. Right? You kind of find yourself in this place of, oh, again? Like, God, again? Right? Like, we have these peaks and valleys. Like, you're here on Sunday morning, you're worshiping, you're with God's people, and you're kind of experiencing God, and you're worshiping God, and you're communing with God. And then you get back home, and Sunday night, all of a sudden, you're just kind of in this valley again whether it's sin or depression or, or, or what have you, just the week starting. And in enters that, that feeling of dread, right? Same sin, different day. And it's interesting, our story with Abraham today has a lot to say about that. Right, our main character, if you've been tracking with us for the past few weeks, Abraham, um, he finds himself, interestingly, in the same exact scenario he found himself in eight chapters prior. Genesis 12. And eight chapters is really 20 to 25 to 30 years of Abraham's life. And he finds himself um, almost in a one-to-one type of scenario. And Abraham's life up to this point, if, if, if you kind of haven't been tracking, is kind of, it is this series of, of peaks and valleys. Like, we largely consider Abraham to be this faithful man of God, but there is no doubt he has mountaintop experiences where he is faithful and he listens to God and he talks with God and he communes with God. But at the same time, we have these valleys of sin, of an inability to trust God, of inconsistency. And so in the middle middle of these valleys and these peaks, we find ourselves in the same place, same story, same scenario. And so the question arises, what will Abraham do the second time? Like it's been 20 years, like surely... Like some of you in this room aren't even 20, like more than your whole life. Surely Abraham's figured this out, right? All these peak moments of talking with God, communing with God, being a leader, living in faith. Surely Abraham has figured this out, right? This godly man, it won't be same sin, different year, right? But it is. And just like in Genesis 12, 30 years prior, Abraham lies again. He manipulates Sarah again. He doesn't trust God again. And he endangers the other people around him. Last time it was Pharaoh and the Egyptians. This time it's Abimelech and his people. And so it seems Abraham, Father Abraham, this great man of faith, seems to almost have an inability to have a consistent walk with God. Like is his whole life just going to be inconsistencies of, of peaks and valleys? And if that's his whole life, we have to ask the question, is there any hope for us? Because being an inconsistent Christian is exhausting. Peaks and valleys are exhausting. Is there any hope for us? Can we be consistent Christians? The answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. 
Um, and our passage actually shows us this, right? Because when you look closely, when you dissect what's actually happening in the story, you kind of learn that the part or the thing that's ultimately in control and ultimately driving the this, this story forward is not Abraham and his sin and his, his inconsistencies and his actions. It's actually God and his And that's kind of our main point, our main takeaway for today. God's consistency is greater than our inconsistency. God's consistency is greater than your inconsistency. If you can't tell, I'm going to say the words consistent and inconsistent a lot, and I'm probably going to trip it up at some point. But we're going to look at this in three ways. It's it's not exactly three points, but three kind of themes we see in the story. First, we're just going to look at what Abraham did. Then we're going to look at what God did. Then we're going to look at what we should do. What Abraham did, basically, we'll look at how was Abraham inconsistent. What did he do in this situation? Then we'll look at what God did. See how God, once again, time and time again, continues to prove himself as a consistent God. And then we'll close by just asking the question, what should we do in light of all that? In light of what we see Abraham doing, in light of what we see God doing, what should we do with all of that? So first, what Abraham did. Key in on verses 2 and verses 11 through 13 with me. And we're not going to, because we're kind of looking at it by themes, we're not going to go straight through. So we're going to jump around a little bit in the passage. But 2 and 13, verse 2, he lies, right? He says, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king, sent and took Sarah. So uh, surprisingly, fast forward like eight verses, you actually learn, oh, okay. Sarah is like Abraham's half-sister. So, um, and that's a whole nother concept scenario that we're not going to deal with that today. Um, so maybe, at best, Abraham's kind of like a half-truth or a half-lie. Like if we were to give him the benefit of the doubt. But if you look closely at this passage, and if you look closely at the parallel passage of Genesis 12, there's no doubt that his intent is to deceive. Right? His hope in this scenario is to deceive the king. His hope in the scenario prior was to deceive Pharaoh. And at first glance, this is maybe somewhat easy to sympathize with Abraham. Right, like it's a pretty weird lie, but like if we find ourselves in a similar situation where it's like all you got to say is four little words, and, and so it seems everything's going to be okay. Like you're in this situation, you're in a foreign land, a foreign country, and uh, all you got to do to make sure you're okay, uh, to make sure your wife lives, to kind of save your own skin is say, she is my sister. That's all you got to do. Like I think maybe we can actually start to understand that a little bit, Right? It seems somewhat understandable. Seems like this little lie maybe is not going to have many consequences. But as we see in a minute, it's, it's actually not so little. It's not such a small thing. Because when you really get down to it, when you really parse through what is, what is Abraham doing here, what is he kind of saying, what is he doing, is it just a lie? What he's actually doing in this moment is not trusting God. Not trusting that God would keep his promises. If you remember earlier in the book, Abraham was promised that that he would become a great nation. God made this promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. He would bless him with uh, tons of offspring, uh, more than the stars in the heavens and more than the dust on the ground. And that he would give him this great land, right? He's made these promises to God. But Abraham in this scenario is thinking, "How how can I get these things if I'm dead? Right, so what does he do? He kind of tries to take the promise into his own hands and work it out himself. And this becomes crystal clear later on in the passage, verses 11 through 13. 
right before this Abimelech, he confronts Abraham like, dude, you said she was your sister. Why did you lie to me? He says, what have you done to us? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Next time my wife's upset with me, I'm going to throw out that line. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abraham responds, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. In other words, I didn't trust God to keep his word. In other words, I didn't trust that God is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says he's going to do. When we put this little lie in that light, all of a sudden we have a lot more in common with Abraham than we first thought. Because on, uh, on the surface, none of us are probably lying about being married to our half-sister. But then dig a little deeper. All of us struggle to trust the promises of God. Right? A few examples. God promises um, that he knows what we need and he will provide for us. And therefore we shouldn't be anxious. Yet how many of us every day? Anxiety of some kind. Right, or, or God promises that, that he is our strength and our weakness, and that actually in our weakness, his, his strength is made perfect and shown. And yet how many of us are really reticent to admit when we need help or we're in a moment of weakness? We too struggle to believe the promises of God. We see the consequences for those kind of sins. The consequences for this little lie, this little moment of mistrust that Abraham had are actually massive. Right, as much as the culture around us kind of wants to prop up this idea that as long as it doesn't hurt others, everything is permissible, there's no getting around the fact that sin affects everyone. And sin affects the people around you. In both accounts of of Abraham lying, um, the sin doesn't just affect Abraham, it affects Sarah, it affects Pharaoh, it affects Abimelech, it affects the people. And so what this short story thousands and thousands of years ago shows us is that no matter how small you think your sin is, there's always consequences. I was extremely convicted of this in my own life recently. About a month or two ago, I was um, driving home and and I was just pretty much right in front of my house. And it was one evening, early evening, um, and it was cold and it was raining and it was really windy, just, just like a disgusting night. Um, and uh, I'm driving, and there's this guy on the side of the road kind of trying to cross. Like, I, I see him, like, I'm driving up, and I see him kind of looking, like, oh, waiting for a car to stop and let him pass, and um, like, I'm, like, I'm in a bad mood, uh, as all Boston drivers are at all times. Um, I'm in a bad mood, and I'm just like, bro, you're, like, 20 feet from the crosswalk. Just walk down there and cross. I'm, I'm not going to stop for you to cross. Uh, but the light turns red, and the cars in front of me come to a stop, And then I come to a stop kind of right parallel with this man. Um, And surprise, surprise, I'm still deciding to be a jerk. And I'm like, okay, you got to get, you got to learn. I'm not going to let you cross. And so I I come and pull up really close to the car that stopped in front of me, like making it very clear, like, I'm not letting you cross, bro. And so uh, this guy, he kind of like, like flings up his arms, like, what are you doing? Like, basically, you're being a jerk, which is true. Um, And he, he walks around behind my car and crosses the street. And as he walks around and starts to walk across, he looks in my window and we lock eyes. And it's one of the employees at the stores like 50 feet from my house, a store that I frequent. And this man, this is a man that I was trying to get to know. 
that I was trying to develop a relationship with and, and really wanted to share my faith with eventually. Like I, I know his name. I know where he grew up. I know how many kids he has. I know where he vacations. It's off the Cape. It sounds lovely. Like I knew what he did for work before his, his, his place of employment now. One seemingly small moment where I decided to lack compassion and care and reflect the love of Christ. Seemingly small moment, and all of a sudden my witness with this man is tarnished. At that time, he didn't know like, what I believed or what I did for work yet, but I was like, what, do you, what is he going to think when I tell him now? Like, is that going to discredit my faith a little bit? Is that going to reflect well on God? No. These small things come with big consequences. Small, quote-unquote, sins come with big consequences. That's something we see in this passage. But luckily, in my life, in your life, in Abraham's life, our inconsistencies, our sins, are not the things running the show. Right? Thankfully, we learn from this passage that Abraham's failures are, are, are not the only thing at work. God, as he always does, intervenes at the perfect time as he's done before. And he actually reveals that he's the one that's been consistently working behind the scenes to make things right. So secondly, we'll look at what God did. And, and actually, before we dive in uh, to, to what, he's, what, he's, what he did, I don't want us to miss the tension that's building in the story that's really been building throughout all of Genesis and that really builds throughout all of the Old Testament. If you want to take away some themes about like, how do you understand certain parts of the Old Testament, you have to go back to Je- Genesis 1 through 3. If you remember Genesis 3, um, 3.15, as Adam and Eve are in the process of getting kicked out of the garden, God actually makes this promise to them. And he promises that there will be an offspring of Eve that will crush the head of the serpent, which is, is somewhat metaphorical language to mean that there will be a child that does away and defeats sin and evil and Satan and, and brings God and his people back into harmony. Right? And so this promise is in the background of every story of Genesis. There's this building tension in every story centering on this promise, right? So that's Genesis 3. Genesis 4, this promise is right in view with Cain and Abel. Like the, the original listeners, when they heard about the story of Cain and Abel, um, sons of Eve, they would, their ears would have perked up. Like, are, is, are one of these sons like the promised child? Is this it? And if you know the story, it's not so. Abel seems righteous, but Cain kills him. In our story, this, this promise is in view too. Not only that promise, but the promises that God made to Abraham. And if you get halfway through the story and see that Sarah, his wife, is taken, all of a sudden it kind of begs the question, like, like God, what are you doing? Like, are you, are you not going to uphold your promise? Are you actually maybe not who you say you are? Are you not good? Like, are, are you going to bring uh, humanity all this way just to let inconsistencies and sins and failures run the show and derail your plans? Maybe some of you feel like that in your own life. So that's the tension that's in our passage. It's not just what's going to happen to Abraham, what's going to happen to Sarah. It's, is God who he says he is? 
Because yes, although in Genesis, this has been thousands of years up to this point, this is still relatively very early on in the Bible. And so the original here is the original audience and us yourself, if you're reading through this for the first time, you're beginning to develop a view, as who, a view of who is God? Who is this being that created the universe? Is he good? Is he consistent? Is he who he says he is? These are the tensions that are at play in each story that we read in Genesis. Like if God doesn't show up here, Abram and Sarah are screwed. If God doesn't show up, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve and humanity, the promise that, Abra- that, that God made to Abraham seems to be annulled. But realize this and find comfort in this. Promises from God do not hinge upon the consistency of his people. The promises that God made to Abraham do not depend on Abraham. The promises that God makes to you do not depend upon you. They don't depend on your consistency or inconsistency or your abilities or capabilities. The driving force of this story, the driving force of the promises of God is God himself. The thing that kind of undergirds this whole narrative, this whole story is God. It's not Abraham. It's not Abraham's inconsistencies and failures, but God and his consistencies. So what, what, what did God do? We see him being consistent in two ways. We see him protecting his people and we see him preserving his plan. Protecting his people and preserving his plan. And he's, he, he's doing a lot more than that, of course, but we're going we're to hone in on those two things. Look at God's interaction with Abimelech in his dream, particularly verses three and six. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. In other words, I'm protecting my people. In other words, I'm protecting Sarah. It was interesting, Sarah isn't the only person that's protected in this story. Right? Read verse 6 after this, Abimelech tells God that he didn't know Sarah was someone's wife. And, And what does God say? He says, I know, and it was me who kept you from sinning against me. I, God, didn't let you touch her. And so in a weird kind of unexpected twist, not only is God protecting Sarah, God's also protecting Abimelech. And it's not just God protecting his people, it's God protecting his people in light of his plan. Back in Genesis 12, God being consistent, he does the same thing. He protects his people and preserves his plan. He has a plan that will not be thwarted by human activity. God has a plan for you that will not be thwarted by your inabilities and inconsistencies. Now, as Christians on the other side of the story, uh, we have a fuller picture of what that plan is, right? When God is consistently keeping his promises to Abraham, we know that eventually... That leads to Christ. So when God is protecting his people and preserving his plan, and when God, step by step, little by little, person by person, event by event, chapter by chapter, unfolds his plan, we know that it's eventually to redeem his people in and through Jesus, to redeem his people in the perfect life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. We know that's the plan. We know that's what's going on behind the scenes. Ultimately, this is why God protects his people. 
This is why God preserves his plan. This is why God is consistent to bring forth a savior. And like side note, like we're in Genesis and, and, and it's a lot of interesting stuff, but sometimes it's really easy to kind of get down in the weeds and we should be in the weeds. We should be looking at these details, but sometimes it's easy to forget the bigger picture that everything in Genesis anticipates Jesus. Like there's this moment in the gospels after Jesus' resurrection, it's called the road to Emmaus and Jesus is walking with these two dudes and, and he just takes a moment and the passage says that he opens their minds to, to the, the fact that the scriptures are all about him. Everything in scripture is saturated with the story of Christ. Everything we read points to Jesus, anticipates Jesus, in some way, shape, or form is fulfilled in Jesus. Don't lose sight of that as we work through Genesis, because if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the main point. So in this story, despite what it seems, God's consistency is greater than Abraham's inconsistency. God's consistency is greater than our inconsistency. Now here's the kicker. Here's the kind of like, okay, like what should we do kind of moment. Just because God's in control and, and everything depends upon God's consistency doesn't mean that we are free to then be really inconsistent, sinful, doing whatever we want kind of Christians. Right? God wants consistency from us. God wants us to consistently trust him. And I'm sure if we raise our hands in this room, hey, you all don't want to consistently struggle with the same sin. You all want to be consistent Christians, consistent people. So just two ways we can grow in our ability to be consistent Christians. Just two. The first one's more theory. The second one's more practice. The first, success in being a consistent Christian lies in trusting in God's consistencies. Being a consistent Christian means trusting in God's consistencies. Consistency as a Christian does not depend on rhythms or habits or schedules, but on trusting in the consistency of God. We talked about this a little bit earlier, right? With Abraham and, and his sin and his inconsistency. What was it? It's not that he, uh, on the surface, did or didn't do certain things. It was that he didn't trust God. He didn't take God at his word and didn't think that God was going to be consistent. And so our battle as Christians who desire to be consistent and faithful lies in trusting God and trusting in the gospel. Right, trusting the good news that God is who he says he is and he did what he said he did through the work and person of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful reframe when you're talking about being a consistent Christian. Right, because it no longer centers on what you do or don't do, but rather it centers on the consistency of God. And then we go from there. To give just like a practical example of what it looks like to kind of reshape or reframe your thinking in light of this. Years ago, I was helping a, a group of guys who were struggling with lust or pornography um, just to kind of work through that sin, work through that struggle. And so each week we would meet at 8 a.m. on Saturday. I don't know why we chose that time. There was like no one with kids in that group and one married couple. Like we could have done a different time, but here, there we were, Saturday, 8 a.m., uh, just, just trying to work through this sin. And we're a few weeks in, um, and, and I just realized like no one's making progress. No one's really growing in their ability to be a more consistent Christian in this area. 
And I kind of took a step back and I was like, well, what's going on? And, and I realized that our conversation centered only on results. Only on what we did or didn't do. Like how many times did you mess up this week? Did you keep yourself out of compromising situations this week? Did you call your accountability person or whatever? Did you hit up your DNA group? Did you hit up your CG? And we weren't getting anywhere. And we should ask those questions. We should talk about those things. But we, we reframed our thinking instead to focus on God and who he is. And so the questions when we talked about shifted. How many times were you able to be in the scriptures this week? Were you able to pray and just think about who is God? How has God promised me these things? Am I trusting in the promises of God this week? We reframed our thinking. And what do you think happened? It wasn't perfection, but progress. We started to make progress. People started to grow in their ability to be consistent in this area, to be more consistent Christians. All because we went from, uh, instead of what should I do or not do, instead to who is God? What are the promises he's made to me and how am I trusting or not trusting in those? The second practical way to be consistent Christians. To be consistent, you have to involve God and you have to involve God's people. Now this first part may seem obvious. You have to involve God. Like, well, Tyler, duh. Like, but it's so hard for us to do that. I find it interesting in our passage, Abraham, um, the, the passage before ours, which you heard about last week, he's interceding on behalf of other people. Like, it almost seems like he's at a peak. Like, he's talking with God. He's communing with God. He's communicating with other people. It almost seems like he is kind of stepping up into a leadership role. He's growing. He's leading. But then in this passage, what happens There's no hint of him communicating with God until the very end when everything's already been worked out by God. That's certainly something we can sympathize with. How many of us kind of make our own plans, slap a sticker on it that says this is God's will and we think we're good without even asking God, without even asking God's people? Like if if Abraham and Sarah just kind of paused before um, they decided what to do and they earnestly prayed about the situation, like do you think lying again would have been the best thing they could have come up with? Like don't you think like just taking a moment to reflect in the presence of God, God might have kind of nudged them a little bit like, hey, does this scenario seem familiar to you? Do you remember what you did last time? Did it work that well for you? I don't think so. And so for us, the takeaway is pretty simple, right? As you consider that new job, as you consider that move across the country, as you consider dating that person, as you consider uh, whatever is in front of your plate, as you consider um, struggling with this sin, have you talked to God about it? Have you asked God? Have you asked God's people? Like, have you asked your community group, hey, I'm considering this new role. Like, I'm considering dating this person. Or I'm struggling with this sin. Like, can you tell me, like, what do you, what do you guys think? Like, am I out of bounds here? Like, what am I missing? Uh, a small, another small story about this. We have, um, many of you know Abby Johnson. She's, she's a member of our church. She um, recently was going through the process of kind of looking for a new job. Um, and she's really great at what she does, really high-level employee. And so the opportunities that were presented to her were better in salary, significantly better, better in time, um, a little more exciting. 
But she came to her community and was like, hey, will you, will you pray about this? And someone in her community came back and was like, hey, I, I think God wants you to stay where you're at. And the reason they gave was because I think the impact you will have, the eternal impact you will have on the lives of people you've already invested so much in was, is going to be greater than just a higher salary. And she stayed. She stayed at her job. And then an ironic twist that kind of parallels our story, like some of the things she was seeking, like more money, a little more free time, were actually given to her by the company because she stayed. That's what it looks like to ask God. That's what it looks like to involve your community. So as we close, again, just kind of like that story I shared where Abby made this decision and then she received some blessings on the back end. Um, This story ends in a really weird way. This passage ends in a really weird way. Abimelech at the end has every reason to be furious with Abraham, right? Abraham lied to his face. Endangered Abimelech and God's people and brought, uh, uh, sorry, Abimelech's people and brought God's judgment very near to them to the point where God says, You are a dead man. Like, many things I want to hear from God, that's not one of them. In a dream of all things, too. You would think Abimelech would deal harshly with Abraham. But instead, he responds with grace and mercy. Right? He gives Abraham livestock and servants and um, free access to the land. He gives him a thousand pieces of silver, which is a lot of money back then. Probably a lot of money now, I don't know. In an unexpected twist then, ironically, Abimelech is reflecting God more than Abraham, the prophet, the man of God, is reflecting God. Abimelech is the one being truthful and extending grace and mercy to people that don't deserve it. Not this prophet of God. There's an unexpected twist there. Despite what Abraham did, Abimelech extended grace and mercy. Despite Abraham's inconsistencies, Abimelech extended an invitation. And so friends, if if you're here today and you consider yourself an inconsistent Christian, there's comfort in that. Right, which we are all inconsistent to some degree, but be comforted in that. Yes, you should fight against sin. Yes, you should um, grow in your consistency as a Christian, but realize that even amidst your inconsistencies and amidst your sins, God still welcomes you back with grace and mercy and open arms. God's consistency is greater than our inconsistency. Let's pray.